from Coast to Coast to Coast. You're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome back. I'm Hannah Cunningham. And I'm Sonic Patel. And we'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news, thought, and stories. We would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located here in Edmonton, Alberta, on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples. Treaty is about relationships, and the very least we can do in this relationship is acknowledge the people who continue to live and gather here, and who continue to influence the stories we make and our understanding of the land around us. On June 21st, 2019, Edmonton had its longest day of the year, the summer solstice. This sunny Friday saw a total of 17 hours, 2 minutes, and 42 seconds of daylight. While you couldn't tell from looking outside the window lately, Alberta receives an average of 325 days of sun each year, second only to Saskatchewan in solar irradiation, and Edmonton is among Canada's sunniest cities. In honor of our solstice, this week's episode is all about solar energy. Before we get into this week's stories, both archives about solar energy, let's talk about what we mean by solar, how it works, the pros and cons to solar, and who the solar power leaders are around the world. Like the name suggests, solar power is the process of generating electricity from solar radiation. The most familiar way to do this is with photovoltaic cells, often just called solar panels. These panels are made of silicon cells. In very simple terms, photons in sun rays strike the cells, releasing electrons that flow through the cell to generate electricity. Another form of electricity generation comes from solar thermal power plants, which concentrate solar energy to boil water and drive a steam turbine. Solar energy definitions sometimes also include solar heating. Solar energy can be used for water heating and solar passive design is based around heating your home using windows that allow solar energy to heat a living space. Solar is a true renewable energy source and has many benefits over other energy types. Panels have low maintenance costs relative to other energy sources. Unlike wind energy, solar has no moving parts and generates no noise. And solar technology is constantly improving, seeing greater economic competitiveness with other sources. The economic feasibility of solar can be further enhanced by carbon pricing schemes that force emitting sources, like oil and gas, to pay for their greenhouse gas emissions. Another interesting benefit of solar is the ability to scale. That's why we can see solar at sizes that vary from single lights in backyards and gardens, to the rooftops of single homes, to massive solar farms, all the way up to the International Space Station. Small solar installations, like the panels on a home or business, are often referred to as microgenerators. In Alberta, this is defined as a generator under 5 megawatts that primarily generates energy for use in the building or the structure that the panel is located on, with excess energy sold to the grid. Larger operations that produce energy exclusively for sale to the grid are referred to as commercial generators. But it's not all sunny skies with solar energy. Solar is an intermittent source, which means its generation is based on factors we can't control. Solar panels require sunlight to produce energy and are less effective at night and during darker days. This challenges how much we can rely on solar for our energy needs. Another concern about solar is that every energy system needs to be considered over its full life cycle. Solar systems require energy to produce, transport, and install. Some toxic and hazardous materials are required for panels. At the same time, solar energy is being widely adopted around the world, 
with 97 gigawatts of capacity added in 2017 alone, the most of any renewable energy source. Over half of this capacity came from China, according to the International Energy Agency, who predict continued growth of solar capacity by almost 600 gigawatts, exceeding the combined renewable energy capacity growth for all other sources combined. Major solar projects are being considered for Alberta as well, but it's unclear whether these projects will move forward under the current provincial government. Despite this, solar energy is around to stay, and it's clear that solar is soon to have its day in the sun. Now that we have a primer on solar energy, here are this week's headlines. Alberta's Renewable Electricity Program, instituted by the previous NDP government as a competitive bidding program for commercial-scale energy generation, has officially been cancelled by the UCP leadership as of June 10, 2019. Premier Jason Kenney made a campaign promise to nix the program, which operated three rounds of public auctions in December 2017 and 2018, guaranteed operators a minimum electricity price, and secured over 1,300 megawatts of renewable electricity for the Alberta grid. The UCP says these existing contracts from these first three auctions will be honoured, but a fourth round of auctions, anticipated in 2019, will not take place. The Renewable Electricity Program was just one of the several programs housed in the government's Renewable and Alternative Energy Portfolio, which has a goal of reaching 30% renewable energy across the province by the year 2030. This goal is protected by the Renewable Electricity Act, which has so far not come under scrutiny for repeal by the current UCP government. However, Energy Efficiency Alberta, a program that provides incentives and tax rebates to Albertans for installing more efficient appliances, solar panels, and other energy-saving measures, has been singled out for cancellation in promises from Premier Kenny as recently as April 2019. At the moment, it appears the program will continue to operate, but funding and scope are unclear. As of July 5th, the Residential and Commercial Solar Program, which provides rebates of up to 35% of solar installation costs, was fully subscribed for the year and not accepting new applications. While commercial wind energy producers suggest they will continue to slowly develop in the province without the Renewable Electricity Program, these threats to energy efficiency Alberta and the current closure of the solar rebate program have had a negative impact on the solar installation market and what was a thriving and new economic diversification in the province. Some municipalities have stepped up with their own solar rebate programs, but the full effect of this decision on both employment and the economy remains to be seen. The Premier has suggested that economic efficiency and the need to remove subsidies from the renewable energy market are the reason the renewable electricity program was cancelled. Yet, a report from the International Institute for Sustainable Development and recent criticisms about large subsidies to Alberta's oil and gas sector remain unaddressed. For more details on this headline, or about solar and other renewable energy in Alberta, visit our website at terrainforma.ca. In local news, on Thursday, June 27th, the City of Edmonton announced that it will be upgrading the Edmonton Convention Centre, to replace about half of the 696 glass panels that form the building's sloped atrium with transparent solar panels. The announcement is exciting news as this is one of the largest integrated solar designs in Canada, which means solar panels are built right into the design of the building, rather than a separate ground or rooftop array. At 35 years old, many of the skylight units were in need of replacement, and the choice to go solar was an intentional one. Melissa Radu, Sustainable Manager for Edmonton Convention Centre, states... As stewards of a public facility, we have a duty to respect and honour the venue's landmark location in Edmonton's River Valley. 
Not only does the installation help position Edmonton as an attractive destination for sustainable events, it encouraged us, our clients, and our guests to set loftier goals that support the future of our industry and environment, end quote. Construction is expected to begin immediately and cost $10.8 million, with the replacement being completed in 2020. Once installed, the panels should produce more than 227,000 kilowatt hours of electricity each year and reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 150,000 kilograms annually. Finally, in a council decision made on June 19th, the City of Edmonton has sent the E.L. Smith Solar Farm back to administration and EPCOR for further engagement and review. The E.L. Smith Solar Farm is an approximately 10-megawatt electricity generation project proposed by EPCOR to be developed on 54 acres of land owned by the company and located south of the existing E.L. Smith Water Treatment Plant in the Edmonton River Valley. The $26 million solar farm is intended to help power the water treatment plant, and construction includes the installation of up to 45,000 solar panels, the connection of these panels to the treatment plant and the electrical grid, the removal of select trees, and fencing around the plant. The project had received the support of the Enoch Cree Nation, who stated their appreciation for the thought that had gone into the protection and vegetation restoration of the project area, as the project is sited on former Enoch Cree land. However, in June, the Enoch Cree Nation withdrew their support after archaeological work uncovered evidence that ceremonies were conducted at the site, correlating with the traditional knowledge of Enoch Cree elders. Despite efforts to enhance the environmental benefits of the project, including transferring a 31.5-acre natural parcel to the city, implementing an enhanced monitoring program, and other efforts, the project received opposition from environmental groups like the Sierra Club and the North Saskatchewan River Valley Conservation Society. These groups are mostly concerned with the location of the project in the Edmonton River Valley. The development of the solar farm still requires approval from Edmonton City Council to rezone the land. After public hearings, Council has sent the project back to City Administration, requesting Administration work with EPCOR Water and the Enoch Cree Nation to continue engagement activities, and that Administration report to Council if they believe the current location to be considered essential. At present, the E.L. Smith Solar Farm is back to the drawing board, but presents an interesting case of conflicting environmental values. How do we balance the necessity of renewable energy for a low-carbon transition with the importance of conserving and protecting our natural landscapes? Stay tuned to Terraforma as we update you on this developing project. Keeping with the solar energy theme, our first story this week features Terraformer Steve Anderson reporting on how the Souk First Nation built one of Canada's largest solar installations on Vancouver Island and made a name for itself as a leader in sustainable power generation. Steve speaks to Souk Chief Gordon Plains and Project Manager Andrew Moore about the importance of collective decision-making and planning for energy efficiency when switching to renewables. Let's listen in. What the Souk Nation has done is really quite impressive. Not only have they got one of the largest solar arrays in the country, they're also helping other communities get on board. But we'll get to that in a minute. First, for folks who aren't familiar with the area, I started off by asking Chief Gordon Plenis where the community is located. 45 minutes to the west of Victoria, British Columbia on Vancouver Island, overlooking the Straits of Juan de Fuca, what we call the Northern Straits. And it's, it's a place they call Souk, but we pronounce it Sauch. And I live in a village of Syosin, and right on the waterfront, and we're saltwater people. 
We're on the open ocean. We had our fish trap there in the past. That's why there's so much uh, resources of food there. And uh, our other village is at the mouth of the Sauk River. It's called uh, Chuckstalo Big River. And uh, that's where our solar project is, right at the mouth. And it's one heck of a solar project. But the town didn't jump in head first. It took a lot of research and planning. One of the most important things was ensuring that the entire village had a say in what was being built. When workers at a local daycare couldn't attend consultations because they had children to look after, the consultations came to them. An entire year was spent planning the project, and in the end, the nation decided that energy autonomy was the way to go. Here's project manager Andrew Moore. It's a project that came out of a years-long visioning that the whole community was involved with, and looking way into the future, in a sort of 100 years' time, what could we anticipate? And one that some things are fairly vague, but some things are crystal clear, and one of those is that there will be no fossil fuel available to us. So what will we have had to have done in order to accommodate that? So we reckoned we wouldn't hang about, wait, we would just do it, and we would immediately try and become autonomous in energy as possible. So it was consistent with First Nations values and traditions to rely on the elements, the earth, the wind and the sea and the sun, and, um, and this is what came out of it, that a solar project was uh, a natural fit. As anyone who's done home renovations knows, they aren't cheap. So the community started writing grant applications. They also started getting in touch with solar energy firms and the different levels of government to set up partnerships. It was a $1.2 or $3 million project to start, and it had a lot of partners, and it took a lot of work, and I, my hands go up to Andrew Moore. He was the project manager, and it, it all started from our people coming together as one and making a decision that would be best for our, our children that aren't born yet, and I think that was the focus to look 100 years ahead, and I really truly believe that a lot of tribes in Canada think that way and that you know, we want to sure, ensure a good life for everyone. Well, that was a vision that a lot of people could get behind, and pretty soon things started falling in line. But the project design that the Souk Nation decided on wasn't a simple one. It required hundreds of solar electric panels, plus solar hot water heaters on every home. So there are three major aspects to the project. One is the photovoltaics, which is, as the name suggests, is photo light volt electricity. It's a bit like photosynthesis, but you know, photovoltaics, uh, which is quite magic in that it it sort of actually creates electricity from the sun through silicon. So that produces a huge amount of electricity. In fact, it's uh, twice as big as anything in BC. I think Souk Nation is the most solar-intensive community in Canada now. So the photovoltaic is a major array. Then each house has solar hot water panels on each roof and tanks, so that preheats the water. So that's a huge conservation of energy there and low, low electricity bills. And then a massive conservation program that um, reduces energy needs, so it reduces waste and makes sure that the investment that you do put into photovoltaics, which is quite expensive, uh, goes a long way. That's something you hear a lot of when people talk about renewable energy. Green power is fantastic, but the first step is cutting back on waste. Replacing old incandescent bulbs, fixing leaky faucets, improving your insulation, and getting rid of old appliances that eat up power. By starting there, you can really cut down on the cost of your project. But how do you get a whole town on board? Well, the Souk Nation had a creative solution. The most useful intervention is what we call social marketing, which is changing people's habits. So... And we have a whole team of youngsters who, who do this. They're much better at it than we are. 
and they go around and and very nicely change people's habits. I mean, the last thing you want is to have green police just puts people's hackles up and they do total opposite of what you ask them to do. So, so they always make it fun. They always make it humorous. They show how you, how you save. We have competitions. Who can reduce the most energy? They have workshops with the children. Education is a big part of the project, and it extends well beyond the community. The nation has been collecting data to prove that initiatives like this one make a lot of sense. We also have a, a SOAK, a Smart Energy Group, and they put all this information together. They work with BC Hydro, and they work with every house in our community, and they, they actually go step by step, and they have data to prove to say, uh, this is how much you've saved in the last year. You know? So we have that data, and it's ongoing. We've got data that nobody else has, so we want to get it up to federal, provincial governments, um, local governments, other First Nations. So we're having, we always have lots of gatherings and forums. And the whole industry is in its infancy. It's hardly get off the ground at all. And we need to move at a much faster rate. So organisations like utilities and government ministries need to take this on board really fast because they can start saving huge amounts of money right away by changing old ways of creating electricity. Andrew told me that one place where solar energy projects like theirs could make a huge difference is with remote First Nations along the B.C. coast. Our youngsters have just been up to Haida Gwaii, which is this beautiful island, used to be called Queen Charlotte's, to do a presentation to the Haida community because a lot of them are off-grid, which means that they're spending huge amounts of money on diesel. Aside from the cost, diesel, of course, is not a very clean source of power. Plus, the government's flying it in, which makes it that much worse. So far, Ottawa has been reluctant to start switching these communities over to solar power. They've got a system in place, and it works. But Andrew's optimistic and says they'll keep collecting their data. It's just a matter of time. And there's no shortage of people who are interested in what they're doing. Other towns are asking for tours of their project, and speaking invitations are coming in from all across the country. It seems that the Souk Nation's vision of energy independence is one that a lot of other communities would like to emulate. For Terran Forma, I'm Steve Anderson. That was an archive from 2011 talking about solar power in the Souk Nation on Vancouver Island. Originally broadcast over eight years ago, the Souk Nation clearly deserves to be called a leader in solar power installation. Unfortunately, some regions across Canada have been much slower at developing their renewable energy potential. Given our earlier headline about the Alberta government closing new applications to its community and residential solar program and cancelling any further auctions under its renewable electricity program, we chose this next archive to offer some advice and inspiration on how to engage with the changing energy landscape. From 2014, Terra Informer Dylan Hall gives a quick introduction to our next story with some thoughts and questions around solar energy. Let's hear from Dylan now. As solar technology has improved over the last decade, it is rapidly becoming a viable alternative to burning fossil fuels. And as energy industry heads scramble to maintain their dominance over the delivery of the essential thing, energy, certain myths have begun to creep into the conversation. Some people say that solar power is too costly to produce and thusly not a real alternative for the everyday consumer. Others say that the process of manufacturing solar panels, or modules as the professionals call them, is just as hazardous to the environment as conventional electricity generation. So why mess with what we already know? They say we should stick with the reliable energy that we've always trusted and continue using the infrastructure in place in the same way we always have. 
In 2014, Daniel Dalgoy caught up with business owner, electrical engineer, and solar power enthusiast Warren Sarar to bust these myths. After she and Terra Informers Ria Lakani attended Sarar's talk on solar energy hosted by the Solar Energy Society of Alberta called Solar Energy, How to Generate Your Own Power and Sell It Back to the Grid, they both wanted to know more about the viability of solar power for themselves and the people they know. My name is Warren Sarauer, and I am um, the past chair of the of the board for the Solar Energy Society of Alberta. And I also happen to own a couple of businesses: uh, Evergreen and Gold Renewable Energy, and um, we help people to install solar systems on their house so they can have solar power. Well, I actually grew up in northern British Columbia along the Peace River. So my father used to work for BC Hydro, and uh, I grew up on the river and and got to see the other the downside maybe of the hydro development. Okay, it's a very natural place. Anyway, when I was old enough, graduated high school and chose to come to Edmonton. So I moved here about 30 years ago and uh, I went to Nate. And so I have a diploma in electronics engineering technology. And from that I uh, worked for a multinational company that was out of Germany. So I got the chance to go to Europe fairly often, go to Germany. Started to see, you know, in the early days what they were doing in terms of things, just simple things like recycling and all that kind of stuff. And I probably have always had an environmental streak, just never really thought about it, right? So always composted, always recycled, always did those things. Really, the next thing that made sense was to uh, to buy some renewable energy, put it on our house. I, I find actually, ironically, that uh, a lot of the people who talk the talk don't put their money where the talk is. And, and I think this is something that if you are strongly environmentally conscious, you have to keep in mind too. You do need to financially support these things as well. Okay, They just don't happen on their own. And we're a very rich society here, and I think we almost have an obligation when we're rich enough to start to do these things, right? Because if we don't do it, it's just not going to happen by itself. It, it's not a matter of shaming people into doing it or something like that. It's just to show people that it, there's no downside to it, right? And so you've got to show people that it's not as expensive as they probably think it is, and that the payback on it is better than they thought it was. The last several years, it's, it's been a big focus on uh, the issue of climate change. And, you know, we just don't see our governments doing anything about it. They talk about it a lot. They set far-off criteria for reaching their greenhouse gas emission reduction goals, and then they just don't do anything about it, right? And then when we get close, they're like, oh, well, oops, we missed it. I have to start all over again. You know, and that's okay to a certain point, but at some point, somebody's got to do something, right? And so I think that's that's where... For those of us who can do something, and I mean financially or technically, right? I think we have an obligation almost to do that. So for myself, I'm I'm fortunate. I can afford to do this, and I have a the technical knowledge and the confidence. I think to just to to go and do these things. All right, and uh, because at some point we have to stop talking about it and we have to start doing it. You know, we don't have to be negative about it. We don't have to shame people who want to drive a large car or live in a big house or anything like that. It's, it's not, it's, that's not part of it. 
um, we have to bring everybody into it, right? And to show people that it's not us and them, it's all of us, right? But I make it a point to tell people that it's not just about the soldering. It truly is something that is, is so simple and yet we overlook it all the time. Um, it's the efficiency side of it, right? There's so much to be gained from efficiency. It's cheap, like really cheap, maybe even free in a lot of cases, right? You're never going to convince people to do something they don't want to do. Right? That's I believe that. So you can educate people and then they can make their own choices, right? And I think if you do that and you do it in an honest way, uh, people will see your point. My wife has a great example. Um, you know, we use a lot of electricity where we're not even around our houses and stuff. You would never go to work and leave your sink running, the tap in your sink running. We kind of get that. That part of it kind of clicks naturally, right? But in terms of things like electricity, we just we don't see that part of it. You know, that, ha that penny hasn't dropped yet, I don't think, for us. And so, that, you know, in terms of efficiencies, I would say that's the first part is to just don't use it if you don't have to. So in Europe, you pay $4 a liter for gas. You're not going to drive a 3500 series diesel pickup to go get groceries. There really is no storage of electricity in the system. It doesn't matter the type of generation technology. The first large power plant in North America was at Niagara Falls, and it's a hydroelectric dam. So there is storage in hydroelectric dams because you have a lake behind the dam. And this basically becomes a version of a battery. But with fossil fuel type systems, there really is no, let's say, storage of it. So you, if you need more electricity, you burn more coal. If you need less electricity, you burn less coal. When renewables come along, they have, um, it's hard to control the fuel that, that powers it. So in the case of wind, if it's windy when you don't need any electricity, then you're basically generating electricity and wasting it. And so, and in the case of solar, you know, we generate electricity in the daytime and we need electricity at, the, at night so that they don't match. You know, in terms of things like climate change, there's an awful lot of people that are either waiting for technology to save us or waiting for the government to save us. Uh, I would say the technology is already here. It's robust. Actually, it's rather old technology. It's quite simple. Uh, it's getting better all the time, but it's good enough for what we need right now. And it certainly s solves some of that issues. In, in terms of government, I, I don't expect actually the government to do anything until they actually have to. If this is something you want to have happen, you've got to do two things. You have to do it yourself, okay? and then you have to push the government to do something about it. The governments will follow, they always do. Uh, on, in terms of the um, electricity system, we really do share a lot of these costs uh, because it's, it's good for the whole society. And so really, you should think about, first of all, voting. This is really a critical thing because this is, a lot of this is public policy. If you have what you feel is a sufficient amount of um, money, um, spend it on the stuff. If you think this is really important, um, put your money into it, okay? That's, uh, as consumers, we have a huge amount of power. And, and it's true. I mean, it's, it drives a lot of behavior. The price of solar energy is dropping so quickly and so rapidly. So there's periods in history where this comes along. And for those people who don't see it, um, it can be quite painful.
that was Danielle Dolgoy and Ria Lakani speaking with Warren Sarar from the Solar Energy Society of Alberta. That's all for the time we have this week. Thanks for listening to our Solar Showcase. If you have any questions or comments about the show, send us an email to tara at cgsr.com, tweet us at Tara Informa, or check us out on Facebook. To catch up on the latest environmental news, visit our website, terrainforma.ca. Thank you to volunteers and Terra Informers Elizabeth Dowdell and Sean Howe for helping out with this week's episode. Terra Informa is an entirely volunteer run and survives because of the generous donations of our host studio, CJSR 88.5 FM. Visit cgsr.com to learn more about the station and consider a donation to keep environmental news like this on the air. I've been your host, Hannah Cunningham. And Sonic Patel. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll catch us next week right here on Terra Informa.